right? And it circles all the way back around to the who am I? And when that is determined, the question next that becomes available is, who am I wanting to become? Who am I willing to become? And what energy and power is required to get there? What resources do I need? How much time is it going to take? And am I attached to that time? How committed am I? So even when I fail, I can commit to recommit every single time. If I could give you one message that could dramatically shift the direction of your life, I would tell you to visualize a world in which there was no judgment for the decisions you've made in the past, in which you weren't paralyzed by fear and you could make decisions that were in alignment with the life you desire to live. One in which you could speak only the truth of what exists on your heart. I would tell you to look at the life you're living now and reflect deeply on what you really wish could change. And then have you look down at the life you just created and the life you're living now. And I get real close and I look you in the eye. That type of look that says, this is too important to let pass. Your life is too important to let pass. And I'd lean in and with your full attention on me and those two life paths, I'd say, you choose. Welcome to the You Choose podcast. I'm your host, Billy Garson Jr. I'm a former division one and professional athlete turned men's mental health advocate. I'm a transformation coach, public speaker, and I'm the proud founder of the You Choose movement, which exists to equip young men with the tools and techniques to choose a life that is in alignment with their highest self. It is my greatest honor and privilege to be with you today, the young man who is in a period of great transition in his life, who's asking questions and seeking answers. And on this podcast, through a series of interviews with professional athletes, men's coaches, and self-help gurus, we aim to educate, equip, and inspire you to bridge the gap between where you are and where you aspire to be. So listen deeply and find yourself in the stories of those who've sat in your shoes and now walk in the areas in which you wish to walk. If I could have had the fight or if I could have had sex, I would have chosen the fight. That's a small insight into the past of our guest today the troubles he faced, and the healing work he's done to embody the man he is and is continuing to become. Today's guest is a true hero. And on paper, you'll read that he's a spiritual leader, teacher, a mentor. But this man is so much more than that. He has worked with professional athletes, soldiers in the US Army, men's groups, professional organizations, entrepreneurs, and elite coaches on how to overcome the mental, emotional, and physical challenges that lead to lead to unwanted behaviors and addictions, physical ailments and pain, and unnecessary suffering in their lives. Our guest today is the founder of New Intention, which was born to help those who experience pain or discomfort in their lives through holistic and integrated practices to optimize the mind, body, and soul. But that's the present. And in order to understand the present, we must gain insight into what led to this point. Today's guest is deemed a 100% disabled army veteran who served six years in the US Army achieving the rank of sergeant. 
having experienced the effects of mental and emotional abuse, suicide attempts as an early as early as eight years old, deep feelings of loneliness, divorced parents, drug addiction as a teen, and gang culture. Nathan continued releasing his suppressed anger in unhealthy ways, becoming an enforcer and using violence to intentionally try to hurt people. And turning to heroin are a few examples of his unhealed trauma manifesting externally. Nathan turned his life around in the army before being medically discharged for compartment syndrome and eventually channeling his pain, frustrations and identity into service. Nathan is now impacting the lives around the world through his work. Today, we're going to hear the story of a man who has seemingly lived 10 lives in one. We're going to learn of the keys to a happy, healthy, purpose-driven life. And we're going to discover the power of a few simple choices that can lead you to alignment. So listen deeply. And without further ado, Nathan Coleman, welcome to the You Choose podcast. Oh, Billy, great to be here, brother. Thank you so much for the warm introduction, and it's an honor. Excited to be here, excited to share, excited to be. Beautiful. Well, I've been anticipating this conversation for a little while, and I'm super excited to have you here. So I suppose where I want to start is this podcast is called The You Choose Podcast, and we I'm a big believer in the power of choice to change anything in your life, right? We so often make decisions that we inherently know are wrong. Yeah, we choose them anyway. Looking into your childhood trauma, I would love to hear from your perspective how that trauma affected the choices you were making and what other components really played a factor in you choosing the path you did earlier. Yeah, it's a really beautiful question. And that's a fundamental component of not only my personal work, but really in the work that I share. And when it comes to choice, you know, there's a saying that goes around on social media that, you know, you can't control your, env- your environment, but you can control how you respond. Mm. And inherently, I, I believe there's a layer of truth to it. And there's also the acknowledgement that we have, you know, these built-in mechanisms, these programs to respond to our environments because at the, at the very core innate nature of who we are, we're animals, right? We have survival mechanisms. We have instincts. And sometimes unless we gain a certain awareness or sensitivity to the sensations that drive the instincts, it's really hard. And that's why we repeat, you know, toxic patterns. That's why we find ourselves in codependent or abusive relationships. And that's why we tend to make the same mistakes or choices again and again and again. And a lot of it, the majority is learned behavior because we, we grew up watching our parents and watching our fathers and our mothers, or maybe our fathers and our fathers or mothers and mothers, depending on the household. Yeah. And we saw the way they interacted. We saw the way they responded based off of our actions and our choices. And we were given the information, whether that confirms it as a positive choice or a negative choice in our mind. And that's what we learned. And a big process of this and and being able to choose, being able to decide, being able to exercise the innate free will that each and every one of us possesses is to unravel, right? To take the layers to reduce it, right? Reduce Mm -hmm. the program down to the code and reduce the code down to the language and reduce the language down to the meaning of thought. And 
it really is quite literally remembering from before the time or remembering or even choosing how we want to be first and getting clarity mm-hmm. on that before we can even determine what it is that's really holding us back. You know, for you, I think that's beautiful. And I want to address this in relation to your life, right? Because you had to do that and we all have to do that to reach the innate level and then move forward. And for you, early on in your life, you were making decisions that were nowhere near in alignment with the man that you were aspiring to become or are in the process of continuing to become now. And I'm curious as to what learned behaviors you picked up during that time. And if you could give some insight into what you observed that you now know created that behavior within you. Yeah. And for me, I can think of two, two instances here. And the first, of course, learned behavior from my father. And it was how he responded to stress, how he responded to someone not doing exactly as he had asked or how they responded to him in dialogue if it didn't meet a certain requirement. Mm-hmm. And what that looked like was me maybe not responding in the most quote-unquote respectful way coming from a very militant household yeah, or doing something and then being punished, you know, through the form of, of abuse, um, through violence. Yeah. And that carried over. And, that, and I sought that later on in my years when I wanted to seek belonging and family and I wanted to seek that familiarity in that environment. And, you know, after my parents divorced and he left, you know, that's where I sought out gang culture. And, yeah. you know, it was a normal thing to get jumped in. It was a normal thing to fight. It was a normal thing to enforce in order to gain respect, in order to establish a strong foundation of loyalty. And that's how I worked my way up. That's how I worked my way in. And that's how I actually became accepted by them because I, I already lived that trait for so mm. long. And when I realized that didn't serve me, I, I saw a more legal form of this and went into the military. Right? Yeah. And everything within the military is domination and conquest. Yeah. So looking at how it's unraveled, it's, it's attracted me to certain organizations, groups, and environments that would actually support and reinforce that that was the way life was to be lived. Wow. And that was a way to gain respect. That was a way to have people listen to you, to do what you want, to mm. get what you want. Mm. And that for me was just one example. Was it that you knew no other way? Absolutely. And not to say that I didn't observe other things during that time. But also bringing respect to that was my father, right? That was my role model. That was who I wanted his validation, his approval, his respect from. Yeah. You know, I wanted it for so long and I did so many things unconsciously, whether he was around or not, to gain it because that was the core driver. And, that's, and then when I would see other things, I would see the way my mom would respond or I would see the way other people would respond. I would judge it. I would, I would label it as weakness. I would determine that as a non-adequate way to live life. What were some of those things? Could you give example into some of those things? Yeah. 
And, and my mom possessed some similar traits, but did it in de- very different ways. Okay. You know, whether she responded through verbal, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't receive verbal altercation very well, right? I always wanted to get physical. I always wanted to yeah. amplify the amount of violence that could, that could be present. And right, even school, right? When teachers would tell me to do something, you know, I would say no, right? I would want them to get aggressive with me. I'd want them to enforce something within me. Wow. And that level of discipline never really affected me. So I didn't really care. I was just like, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? Wow. And when you were going through that phase, I, me looking in, right? That level of violence and, and entering into gang culture, right? That's, that's an extreme asset, right? An extreme way of, of going about it. And I also think that there are, like you were talking about there, there's so many learned behaviors that we know aren't serving us, yet we follow through on anyway. Did you know that it was inherently wrong when you were venturing into these methods of approach and ways of being? Did you know that it was wrong? See, that's the thing is that now looking back, yes, of course. And with who I was then, with what I knew then, for me, it actually brought me pleasure. I enjoyed it thoroughly because I've always found even now, even some some ways today, right? Yeah. That pain is pleasurable, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what you spoke to on that introduction is that if I were given the options to fight or or to have sex, I would have chosen the fight any day of the week, any day of the week, because it just brought something up in me that, that, imposed method of force and, and, and the false sense of power that I felt from that was almost indescribable. It was almost as though my body would be filled with ecstasy. Wow. And it became very addicting. It became a substance to me. Wow. So it's almost like you had to wean off the addiction of violence and wanting to fight and wanting to, and then you have this weird balance, right? Of, of, this is, I'm excited to go into this place and we're probably going to go in a roundabout way here and venture in a million different directions, which I think is, is beautiful. But one of the things that I've gotten to in my life is actually the opposite, which is suppressing anger, feeling that anger is bad. And when you got to the place where you almost weaned off and came off of the addiction to violence, right? How do you balance the two between a healthy level of physical right? Uh, moving through anger, right? And also releasing in the unhealthy ways that you were doing for so long. Yeah. And that's a really powerful question because, you know, the times that I would act out in violence or anger, right? And I remember all the times, right? Every single time it was express the anger, get it out, impose it on another, and then flee, run, because wow. who will who will see me? Who will find me? Who will accept me if they really knew the monster that I could be? And you know, especially in the work now, whether I'm working with men's organizations or facilitating a breath work, you know, being on the other side, the receiving end of these, you know, experiences I'm I'm creating and facilitating now, it came down to the environment. It came down to the agreements. It came down to the level of acceptance. And I had never felt that before. Mm. And to have 
a safe space, a safe place to, to express that and learn and unlearn and relearn healthier ways of expression to where it didn't have to come through the form of fists was really powerful. I didn't know I could just yell. I didn't know I could just scream. I didn't know that I could just communicate. And that's why I'm so heavily invested in myself and, and the tools that I've acquired because now there's an understanding that there's always something underneath the anger. Mm. So now there's this level of awareness and with these newfound expressions that bring these different sensations yeah. that allow me to, to unravel what's really there. Because if I'm angry, right, it's either powerlessness or helplessness. This is just the immature form as the toddler within me wants to express yeah. that and throw its temper tantrum. And that's not to say it's not acceptable. But is yeah. it appropriate for the circumstance at hand? Is it appropriate for the environment? Is it appropriate, necessary, or can this be communicated and expressed in a way that doesn't perpetuate these painful ways? Mm. Which the answer to that is most often, yes, it can be communicated, right? And I think this leads to a topic that most men know but inherently don't act on, which is being able to communicate or yelling or screaming. And so I suppose it also comes with a redefinition of what it means to communicate, right? How were, how were you able to redefine that for somebody so angry and frustrated and, and, and what he believed about being a man, right? And what he believed about just having a natural, healthy conversation of processing emotions. Where was that shift for you? I think that shift has been evolving. I find new ways to communicate every single day because, you know, coming from also a personal training background and biomechanics background and understanding that no human body is the same, you know, that's why they can't prove or disprove that posture even exists. You can't find mm -hmm. one piece of anecdotal evidence to suggest that proper posture standing or seated is, is the quote unquote right way to sit or stand yeah. because everybody's different, right? Every femur is different. Every humerus is different. Those are the thigh and the arm bones, yeah. the length, the density, the ability to regenerate. It's all different. And once that principle was applied to human behavior, to human psyche, to the soma, right? Breathing patterns, movement patterns, behavior patterns, thought patterns, communication patterns, right? Because we speak in rhymes and dialogues. We speak in yeah. codes that become these, these patterns. And it was, it was the evolving of the process, not so much one single point, but it was the continuous evolution that I wanted to seek to fully more understand myself. Mm. And when I sought to understand and I sought to ask and the method was inquiry, and the responses were never the same. And that, you know, created this adaptability within me to really remove my own judgment and or my projections or my own uh, thought of what is to be true in this moment yeah. to fully understand what it is this person requires and needs to have this safe conversation. And in order to have that and to facilitate that, I had to first become it. Yeah. You said that you know, when I sought to understand for a long period of your life, you weren't seeking to understand. So what got you to the place where you were like, what was the teetering? Are there moments in your life that you look at as like, this is the moment or the, the few moments where 
I am now ready to seek to understand why I am the way I am so that I can change the way I am. Yeah. And that, that point came, I want to say, about 2017, right? It was right after my hand injury and I was going through the rehab and I was going through um, really a dark night of the soul. You know, I was going through this huge death because I had lost my dominant hand. I was a professional bodybuilder. I was a personal trainer. I was all these things that required me to be physical. And when I couldn't be physical anymore, because that was my power for so long, were in my hands and in my fists yeah. and my elbows and every part of my vessel. And when I, when I couldn't even brush my teeth, you know, I had to relearn how to brush my teeth. I had to relearn how to write with my left hand and, and mm-hmm. you know, pin everything down with the cast on the right. And feeling this sense of powerlessness once more, and not able to express it through the through the through my fists and through my violence, I didn't have any other choice. And it was that buckling in that moment where I thought of taking my life, my life. And you know, I even remember like, why me? Like, why is this happening to me? Like, just completely, mm-hmm. like, submerged in victimhood and. I got that call, right, from one of my clients who was a clinical psychologist at the time. And she said, hey, I think this training would be really good for you. It's a, it's a transformational, experiential training. And in that course, right, it was landmark. That's where my journey started in May 2017. You know, they, they asked the question, and it was almost one of the first questions through the door, like, who are you? And I couldn't answer the question. And that just led down the path. Like, what are these stories? What are these constant complaints? What are these, you know, sob stories that I keep following that perpetuate my pain and really, you know, keep me in a state of suffering? And do I really want to live my life this way? Or do I want to take control of my life rather than other people? I just got chills. As you said that, I really did. I think the question, who are you, is one that we think we know subconsciously, yet we're also scared of answering. And so whenever it gets brought to the surface and you're truly asked to answer, I don't think many of us could really answer that question. Right? When that question was proposed to you and you had no answer, I just got chills. The emotion I could feel arising in me. What was going on for you in that moment? I was just lost. I was lost. and. I didn't feel much, which also came with another question. Like, why can I not feel like, what is it about me where when I interact with another human being, I feel nothing like absolutely nothing because I had just numbed myself for so long. Right. And of course it's really powerful coping mechanism and it, and it kept me safe. It kept me guarded. It kept me contained Yeah, because what was really underneath that was all the shame. It was all the guilt and the apathy and the remorse for, for all these things that I had realized it's not the way to live. So for me, it, was, it looked very differently. Yeah. You know, I'm going to speak on behalf of a lot of the young men listening here. And I would say, because this was me for a long time too, you said that, you know, the suppression and the holding in and the numbing 
right? As a really powerful coping mechanism. It kept me safe for so long. Why would somebody not just continue to know if they feel safe? Yeah. And that's because numbing is an active process. You know, in the, in the somatic world, right? Somatic healing, whether it's breath work or trauma release exercise or experiential work. You know, when, when we're numbing, it may seem like a very unconscious act. And it's also a very active process because we're always seeking to not feel what, what we are hiding because that pain could be so painful and it could be related to so many things and there's so many layers to it, you know? But the way I see that is that the spirit, right? The spirit always knows. And the spirit also knows like, can this vessel handle this pain in this moment? And sometimes it can't. Sometimes our nervous system cannot sustain that level of discomfort because we are just so dysregulated in life. We are so dysfunctional in our movement patterns. We are so ridden and filled with dis-ease that sometimes that's okay. And that's why, you know, in the work that I've done in addiction recovery, you know, to pull somebody off a substance immediately and put them into these super painful phases of withdrawal. And I remember going cold turkey. I remember what that was like, like being eaten from the inside out and all I wanted was for it to stop. And I would have done anything. And that, that's similar experience. And sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it is allowed. Sometimes, right, we need that. You know, so the question there actually is, when am I ready for change? When do I feel that I can create this space and have the opportunity to look at this with compassion? How can I really rid my life of, of anything and everything else that supports it so I can get to the root solution? And there's a tactile way to do that, right? Because if we were just to rip something away or immediately confront one of the most painful things, then that actually can be re-traumatizing in and itself mm-hmm. to go back and relive these, these painful moments, you know, to be put back into that situation, which is why I believe somatic work is so powerful, at least from the foundation, to create the space and opportunity for us to then look at those, you know, experiences with with space that becomes the opportunity to exercise the compassion, to find the forgiveness and then to choose new behaviors and new ways of being moving forward. Can you go deeper into that process a little bit for me? I think I love everything that you just shared. I think it gives almost like this blueprint. And the reason I want to touch on that more deeply is because you said that it opens up another question. When am I ready to change? I think so many of us are confused in that regard, right? We suppress early on and then anytime it comes to the surface, it's like, no, I'm not ready. No, I'm not ready. No, I'm not ready. And we're never ready until we get to the place where we, at some point, in my experience, it takes courage to choose that you're ready, right? What does that process look like to finally decide that, you know, I am ready? Absolutely. And I can only speak from my experience because it looks differently for everyone. Yeah. And for me, it was rock bottom. I had to hit rock bottom because I lived in the extremes my entire life. And once I was able to touch the extreme, 
right? It, it showed me a deeper layer, a deeper level. And also bringing in, right, these quantum philosophies, as I like to say, right, as far as you can go down is as high as you can go up. And that will always exist. And even though I didn't know that at the time, I didn't understand that in the mind, right? My spirit knew, right? My mm. spirit knew like, hey, if you're willing to go here, bro, like how far can you go up? How far can you go far? And it was that like divine innate inner knowing that, that brought that for, those opportunities forward. And again, it looks different for everybody. Right? I've seen people who either just left their marriage or they just you know, got released from their job or maybe it was just that they had an experience. Right? Maybe mm-hmm. somebody just said something to them and it made their mind work in a different way and their thought could then get behind their body's response and support it rather than having this confliction between the mind and the body. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is that blueprint we're speaking of. And that's because like our body holds and contains the information from the experiences that we that we see, that we hear, that we feel. Right. We don't feel things in the mind, we feel things in the body. And when those sensations start to surface, right? We just talked about this suppression, right? Or yeah. repression, right? When that happens, it comes, it turns and, and starts molding into this depression. And this depression starts facilitating these different emotions that are so uncomfortable. And if left unchecked or unresolved, it will come out in immature forms, which is the anger, which is the violent, which is the catharsism. And the process that I'm speaking to, right, in these somatic processes, right, somatic being of the body, right, starting with the body, the body keeps the score, right? And you know, Peter Levine talks about this a lot, great resource for anyone who's interested in waking the tiger. Mm. That, that trauma is not what happens to us, right? It's what happens within our body when something happens. Paraphrasing there, of course. Yeah. And when that happens and we're unable to process, it gets stuck in our system. And when it gets stuck in that system, the mind will always seek to complete it. It's almost mm. as though it's hunting for an opportunity to fulfill this sequence that was frozen at one point in time. And this is why we seek out past experiences. And this is why we go into the same mistakes or the same choices or the same partnerships or the same actions that become the patterns that become the addictions. Because we follow this, this, this feeling, we follow this sensation because we're trying our hardest to create more awareness because the more we seek out an experience, the more data and information we have for the mind to come back and support what the body's response is saying. Mm. So through releasing it, whether it's through breath or whether it's through ecstatic dance, whether it's through the kinesthetic movement of, of our hands that turns it into art or when we're playing the instruments, right? And we're actually facilitating different sensations through frequency, right? Through vibration, whether it's through body or any of those other modalities, it starts to create an opportunity for the mind to start perceiving that new information again. Wow. My mind's going a million different places right now as you're saying this. This is so fascinating. This is so fascinating. I was listening. I went to, as you were saying this, I was recalling a study. I can't remember who was talking about this study where they were talking about generational trauma as well, right? And it was a study where I think they took mice and they shocked the mice when they ate something, right? And then every time that mouse 
ate that thing again or smelled it, they froze up. And even after they, the, the children of those same mice, for generations to come, when they'd go to eat that food, they would freeze. Right. And that sent, like you said there, that sensation in the body remains and it's the mind that creates that sort of internal belief. What are some of those consistents in men, right? Those that you see in the work that you do, those emotions that sit in the body from the trauma. What are some of those consistent traumas that you see in men? And where does that emotion sit? Yeah, for men, anger. A lot of anger, a lot of anger, a lot of sadness, a lot of grief. And a lot of the times the anger will, will sit in, in the belly, right? In our, in our fire center, in our power center, right? Yeah. In yoga philosophy, it's the, you know, the solar plexus yeah. right? in, in Qigong, right? It's, it's the, right? the entire fire center, right? Don Tian, right? And, you know, in the center, it's where we hold our power, right? And if, and if misconstrued or misconveyed or misused, right? It, it turns into these immature forms, right? And once that's released, right? It's, there's, there's something underneath it, right? There's something underneath it in our desires. We don't have, we can't have what we desire and we're angry about it. Just like we're toddlers and we want this toy and we don't get the toy and we start throwing this temper tantrum, right? That's how, yeah. we, how we work, right? And, and by pushing, by stimulating, by breathing, by igniting and, and pumping that fire, right? It moves that energy upwards into the heart, into the throat for us to express, right? And we don't have, as men, many spaces that promote that, yeah. right? Because that is inherently deemed by society wrong, right? And we're taught this at very early ages, right? We get pushed yeah. stuck in schools and sitting at desks, right? Where we are stagnant and then we're told not to talk. We're told not to speak. We're told to listen and receive the information to replicate it and duplicate it on a piece of paper mm-hmm. when that is not our actual individual expression. Right? It's a conditioned expression. It's a conditioned behavior. It's a learned, quite literally, yeah. response. And it's so subtle, right? It doesn't have to be this extravagant thing. And that creates grief, right? Because we feel as though, right, when we've expressed that anger, right, now we feel like there's a part of us that's dying, right? We're having to grieve these old behaviors, these old patterns, these, earth, yeah. these old learnings that no longer serve us. And that creates a deep sadness, right? Just if we were to lose somebody close in our life, it creates a deep sadness. And now we take that expression inward and to feel that sadness is, is really painful, right? Mm-hmm. And we, as men, have also been taught not to cry, not to feel, not to do all mm-hmm. these different things. And it's necessary. It's necessary for a man, right? Just as a child, right? To be... Yeah to be held, right? To, to cry, right? And I've had several, several of those moments, you know, some more recent than others. Yeah. And to be given full permission, right? And to be in a space and to have someone to support that without judgment, with straight compassion is a really powerful thing. And that's why I believe we need more spaces that, that facilitate that, that support that, that create that, 
yeah. opportunity for to meant to find that expression, whether it's subtle or if it's explosive. Right? There's a there's a range and there's a spectrum, yeah. right? And that's ultimately determined based on, you know, the the practitioner's nervous system and ability to hold space. Wow, I think that's so beautiful. And you know, one of the initiatives that I'm working on right now is setting up these spaces in collegiate systems. Right? men's groups where men can gather within collegiate systems and find a safe space to process this. Because one of the things I believe is that as a society, we blame so often, right? We blame after the fact, violence, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, porn addiction, all of these things we tend to blame, right? Without looking at why it's happening, right? And I'm a big believer that this type of work and these safe spaces to be able to truly process will dramatically decrease all of those things, right? You talked about there some of the immature ways in which we release. Can you touch on some of those ways for the guy listening right now that maybe not even know whether the ways in which he's approaching life are these forms of immature release? What are some of those? Absolutely. And again, I'm going to speak in my own experience and maybe someone can relate to that. But for me, it was unconsciously like seeking, seeking sexism as a way to avoid what's really there to, to put on this persona, to put on this mask and, you know, to have that mask reinforced by the attraction from a woman and, and not being intentional with, with the relations that I was pursuing. That was one. And a second, which we've spoke to many times is imposing violence, right? Whether that be mental, emotional, physical, even spiritual, right? Depending on the man, depending on the space, right? And using that as, a way to deceive, as a way to manipulate, as a way to perpetuate, right, again, and reinforce these false beliefs, mm-hmm. right, of who I was or who I was designed to be and what my quote unquote power really was. And especially verbally, right, we may not be, be quite aware, but even when we drive by someone, right, and we, we, we look at the, the homeless man on the corner. We judge him, right? There's energetic too, right? There's energ- energetic immaturity, you know, and there's, there's judgment. There's labeling someone as even a narcissist or labeling someone as codependent, right? Narcissism and codependency are coping mechanisms. Yeah. Right? And what you spoke to and seeking to understand rather than labeling it or blaming it is really important. You know, as someone who has first-handedly struggled with narcissistic traits most of his life, right? And, and I've been called a narcissist on many occasions. Yeah. And in those many occasions, that could have been very much true. Yeah, I could have taken the clinical assessment and checked every single box for having this personality disorder when it wasn't a disorder at all. It was, it was the learned behaviors and patterns that I knew and that came out in these immature ways, right? That deemed it to be, to be such as that when that's not always the case. Yeah. Would you say that these labels are only true for as long as you believe them to be true, right? We give these narcissistic labels and that's the heightened level, but of all the other labels, right? <laughs> the, you're ugly label, right? is a huge one that men hold on to in relation to women. I'm ugly, right? I'm not an attractive guy. Um, I am dumb, right? I'm not 
intelligent. Are these labels only true until you choose to let go of the label? I think in certain cases, yes. And I think in other certain cases, there, there's also a sense of having it to be validated because sometimes we need that too. Sometimes it requires someone else to say, you know, you're not ugly and to feel that resistance. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it has to look like someone actually in saying like, you're ugly, but then also developing the sensation like, oh, that doesn't feel good. And if it yeah. doesn't feel good, then it must not be true. So there's, there's the indication system, right? There's the sensation system, yeah. right? These feelings and the emotions that we have when we respond to an external stimulus, right? Yeah. To our external environment, yeah. right? Might even pave the way for that question to even occur. And then what? Because one of the major things that I've been, I, I brought up, the you're ugly one. One of the major things that I personally have been working through over the past few years really is not necessarily the you're ugly, but the the you are not worthy of women, women in your life. And one of the sensations that I found myself feeling a lot, and this is a vulnerable moment for me, but when people say the opposite, right? You you look so good. Right. If I walk into a room, right, you look so good, or my aunt or someone like that saying you you look so handsome today. Right. Immediately I've noticed my brain goes to they're just saying that. They're lying. That can't be true. You know? And for me, that is a weird feeling as to like, why am I convincing myself that I'm not true? And I know the reasons why now, having done a lot of that work, I know some of the reasons why, right? But knowing and actually changing is an entirely different thing, right? I'm aware of why I do that. I'm aware of the the shift that happens internally when somebody approaches me with those positive affirmations that I don't believe. Now what? Yeah. And thank you for sharing that first and, and for bringing this forward because, you know, this is a lot of the work that I've, I've done with John Wyland, you know, who's a very, very renowned in, in this space too, is that, you know, we can cognitively, right? We can, we can logically understand something, but does that really mean we know it? Because I feel as though at least what's true for me is that when we feel it is when we know it. Because our intuition, right, it's a felt response and we know whether or not a situation is good for us or not. We know when a, when a partner, an intimate partner is good or not. We know when a choice that we make is good or not, right? We feel it in our body. It's a visceral reaction. You know, it's deeply felt, deeply known. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was speaking to earlier is can the mind get behind the body's response? Because we can have awareness through the mind which is the sensation and the essence of the masculine, right? And then we have sensation, right? Which is the essence of the feminine, right? right? So even to what you're speaking to and just using your words and your example, right? To not feel the worthy of a woman, it's, again, that's a very deep wound for many men. Yeah. For many men. And for me, right? In my experience of that, 
right? For me, it was, do I trust my own sensations? Do I trust my own ability to feel? To then feel worthy of this feeling and then feel worthy of a woman receiving this feeling. And that was kind of the layer, right? For me, at least. And that's what I'm speaking to is that, you know, we can understand something, but once we understand something, we have to stand under the knowing of that feeling to fully feel it and support it. Mm-hmm. Because we don't feel it if we stand underneath something and we're holding the heaviness and the burden and the stagnancy of it, it's going to crush us. We're, our mm-hmm. legs are going to buckle and we are going to fall. So it really requires the mind and the body to be in harmony. So it's almost like when that initial feeling surfaces, that is the first shovel, that is the first dig. And rather than choosing to just move on or let go or suppress in that moment. It's like, keep digging, ask more questions. You asked some great questions there that you just presented. Like, would you say that's the approach when you feel that awareness to just keep digging? Yeah. And to a certain degree, because there comes a certain point where it's, it's that, that will come, you know, have I dug enough? Is this mm-hmm. good enough? Am I good enough? Right. And when that question occurs, right, that ultimately leads to worthiness. Yes, I, I do feel as though I've done enough of these inquiries. I've, I've gone in enough. Now let me go out in the world and exercise it to see what I might be missing, to see what I might not be seeing, and to have the response of other people reflect that back to me because wow. we are co-regulating as a collective, as a community. And that's and you- why community really is the answer to that too, is to be supported. Yeah. Which I love. And when you say go out into the world and test it, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Daily interactions, daily interactions, right? You've done all this inquiry and you've asked all these questions and you've journaled all these prompts and you've gone and, and done all these practices to invoke these feelings within you, like physical practices Right? whether it's breath work or movement or some type of embodiment work. But can you go out in the world and embody it? Can you speak to that woman and feel how differently your body responds? Can you shift your language, right? Now that there's newfound sensation and notice how people respond to you in dialogue, even as simple as checking out at the grocery store or acknowledging other people while also simultaneously acknowledging yourself. And it becomes an art, an art of expression. So it's almost like the huge differentiator is stop thinking and start feeling into, and you'll know the answers from there. Yeah, which is a very foreign concept, especially as men, because we're thinking creatures, which is a really powerful gift. And if we're always in our mind, we're also furthest from our heart. That's why, you know, we have a saying in in men's work that like the longest journey for a man is the journey from the head to the heart. And that's why heart-led leadership is so essential, so needed, so necessary right now in order for the women and children of the world to trust us again. Touch on that journey from the head to the heart for all these men that are living in their head, me being one of those men on many occasions, so consistently, what does that journey look like? 
Yeah. And just like another question you posed to me earlier, this is an ever evolving journey, right? Because I, at many times, right, find myself in my head, I am not exempt from the human experience, nor is anyone. And, you know, when that time comes where you feel the spiral moving downward, right? It's the awareness and creating the opportunity to, to really tune in, to really drop in, drop down, right? And, and sometimes that may just be looking like tapping on the chest, tapping on the heart, waking something up and asking, what is here? Mm-hmm. What's here for me? And rather than how would I respond, if I were leading from my heart, how would, how would my heart respond? How would my spirit respond? How would, right? And we've, we learned this in, in religion, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And me growing up in a Christian household, the, the, the question, what would Jesus do, right? And mm-hmm. with the understanding and the knowing that I have now, right? Christ consciousness is to be of unconditional love, right? That was the essence of Christ. And that's why Christ lives in the heart, right? And it's not even coming from a place of religion. It's coming from a, an understanding and a knowing, right? Of, of the essence, the energy of Christ as an archetype, Christ as an avatar for what's within me, what's within us. And how, and how does, how does that part respond? Wow. That's beautiful. And as you're saying it, like it's so funny as you were saying it, I could almost feel, and I wasn't even tapping my heart, right? But I was watching you do it. And as I was processing the way you were talking about tapping in, I could just feel myself start to sink down here, down here. And then I could feel myself almost in here. And it was like this softness, right? Even just in these two minutes that you've been talking, I felt like this, this softness. We yeah. came in here. And it's that opportunity, right? When we create that level of awareness, right? Because your mind, right? Our minds hear something, see something, interprets some sense of or some source of information, right? And then, our, and then we bring in the awareness to how is my body responding to this, right? And it's as subtle as that, like two minutes, right? Two minutes to just drop in, to check in. And if it is this softness, right? You know, we can still be manly, right? We can still have this quote unquote alpha mentality, right? And we can bring in softness to that to find a more powerful and grounded expression of it. Mm. Is that what we should be striving for? I think for me, I went to this place where early on in this journey of healing and, and personal growth, for lack of a better term. I think for so long in my early life, there was a feeling as though I had to shut off, obviously, the femininity to prove myself as a man, right? And then as I evolved, I got to the place, and I'm only now starting to come out of this, where I started to think that I had to shut off my masculinity to tap into my femininity more. And it was a weird dynamic because I started noticing myself in relation to men and in relation to women, almost weakening myself because of a feeling that I have to shut off this masculine archetype. So can you touch on like the balance between the two and how you find that? Yeah. And this is somewhat of what I spoke to earlier in terms of the extremes, right? To to work in the extremes. And I had a very similar experience myself, right? I had this very hyper-masculine hyper-vigilance 
you know, in, in my younger years. And then I went really deep into this, you know, hyper feminine, right, hyper yin state of my life. And I felt out of alignment because I didn't really feel like that was me. And I felt like I had almost lost I felt like I lost that, that masculine intensity that I, that I thrive and I personally love because yeah. it does so many amazing things in my life. And it was shifting that. And it wasn't so much finding the balance because I don't believe balance really truly exists. You know, we're not designed that way. Our human bodies are developed. And that's the beauty of us being adaptable creatures, right? mm. adapting to the environment, adapting to the circumstance, adapting to our relationships, you know, and being able to ebb and flow smoothly, right? Without the intensity as, as much as in the extremes, but really finding that harmonious and calibrated state that we operate at most effectively, knowing that that range is going to change based on our circumstances and situations. And I don't necessarily think, you know, to answer the very first question you had said either, that it should be a certain way because when I hear or feel that it's something should be a certain way, I'm inherently judging it to be yeah. right or wrong. And with that being said, I believe that it should be, more, it is to be more accepted, right? To be more accepted, to be given permission mm -hmm. in order to honor the path of individuation. Hmm. for someone to find that unique expression, right? Without judgment, full acceptance, full permission. And when that happens, that person becomes the hero of their own story. Hmm. They find and they determine what masculine means to them, what feminine means to them with their own language wow. becomes their code, which becomes their program, which becomes their actions and their patterns. Wow. That's so powerful. I think it's so powerful and what's coming through me right now as you're saying this is again and I'm getting really vulnerable in this podcast I think I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of men here when I say this is I've spent a lot of my life living in comparison right looking at what it should be like right what does this ideal masculine feminine harmony look like Right? And using others to compare myself without truly understanding that I'm not them. And that really helped just that there, that statement helped shift for me because what I'm hearing you say is it's not looking at somebody else, but looking at who you are and who you aspire to become and how that looks and looking more at that man. And I think we spend so much of our time looking at other men, but we don't look at the man that exists in our future. Yeah. And you know, you just spoke to it, right? And it circles all the way back around to the who am I? And when that is determined, the question next that becomes available is, who am I wanting to become? Who am I willing to become? And what energy and power is required to get there? What resources do I need? How much time is it going to take? And am I attached to that time? How committed am I? So even when I fail, I can commit to recommit every single time. Was that, that the most important journey for you? Did that become the most important journey for you when you realized who am I becoming? Mm -hmm. 
And I feel as though I, I even stepped in there more recently, right? As I embarked on this really high level, high, high, high cost, right? High exchange mastermind that I'm in with some really powerful people. And that space, that opportunity created the opportunity for me to ask if I'm sitting at the table with these people, rather than comparing myself, who do I have to become in order for this vision to come to life? And how I'll do all of these powerful individuals reflect back what's already within me to where I'm already sitting at the table. Wow. Can you say that last, last statement that you just said again? I think that was so powerful. Yeah, it's who do, who do I have to become or who do I want to become in order to be at this table when all these powerful individuals are reflecting back to me all the reasons mm-hmm. in which I'm at the table in the first place. Is that life? Is that, is that growth? And you said reflecting back, right? Life just as a mirror. When you can become aware of the people you're sitting on the other side of and what they're reflecting back to you in positive and negative ways, is that, is that growth? Yes, that is complete, utter presence. You know, my friend Nick said to me when we were doing a podcast up in Sedona that to be fully present is to have the other person sitting across from you feel like the most important person in the world. And that is what we all inherently want, to be seen, to be loved, to feel safe. You know, ever since we were very small children, we only really need safety and love. It's all we want. It's all we need. That's all we require. And and life demands us to seek it. It requires us to seek it because that is life to be fully present, right? Not just the people that we're surrounding ourselves with, but what does the tree reflect back to us when we're walking on nature? What do the rocks resemble to us as they hold us when we're walking? What does the sky represent to us as we look up to God and we say our blessings and prayers and honor the four directions before ceremony and after ceremony? And how does life become ceremony and how does life reflect back to us the reason why we're here? Knowing that nothing is a coincidence, considering a coincidence is is a mathematical term used to say that two unrelated points are meeting at one perfect point for a specific reason. Yeah. Is that something we seek or something we choose consistently? Comes on the ball, right? At a deep subconscious, unconscious level, I believe that our spirit seeks it and our conscious mind, we make the decisions and the choices that bring that forward, that create the opportunities for it. And now we are in alignment, unconscious, subconscious, conscious application. Mm. So that's alignment. When your subconscious, what your subconscious seeks matches what your conscious mind chooses. And the awareness, right? Not so much the conscious mind is choosing it, right? But the awareness that we have to where our conscious mind can choose differently if what our subconscious is seeking is no longer serving us. Mm-hmm. And that conscious choice and application is what brings us into alignment, knowing that we're only choosing what's best for us and the highest good. Mm -hmm. 
is that why this is that where this deep subconscious work comes in? Because so often we're aligning what our conscious mind is choosing in relation to what our subconscious mind is seeking. And we think that's alignment when in reality it's leading us down these false path false paths of truth. Is that where it starts in the subconscious? Is that where the somatic work, I suppose, is what I'm asking comes in? Yeah, exactly. Right. And right, that's the somatic work, really what I believe to be true, right? Just like psychedelics, right? And plant medicine, which I also right work work in those spaces and, and mm. participate in those spaces, is that's what's stored in our in our unconscious. Right. Maybe something happened to where we were so young that we don't even remember, which is where the power of inquiry comes in, right? What was it that happened, which could take us down a thought path, right? But what did I feel when that happened? And how does this feeling feel familiar? And that's where the subconscious will then seek the familiarity, right? And then we can bring it into our conscious awareness, right? And some things, right? And this is where, Carl Jung speaks a lot about, right? Our personal unconscious, uh, the collective unconscious. We spoke to generational pain, generational stress. And also the collective, right? Knowing that in terms of quantum entanglement, that we are all connected, right? Beings, right? So how do we determine what that individual place is, right? And it's through this process. And that's, you know, the blueprint that you spoke to earlier, that's, that's really the process that I facilitate, right? And it's, and, it's a, and it's a method of inquiry to hear what somebody's at, what somebody's experiencing in order to determine, right? Are they more in, in a reptilian, instinctual, unconscious pattern? Or are they more in a mammalian feeling subconscious pattern? Or are they, are they in a, a human right frontal cortex pattern, a conscious application pattern, and then determining what the individualized roadmap to mastery really looks like for that person, what that hero's journey looks like and where they're at and what they're stepping into and who they are becoming in order to illuminate the path for them to walk by themselves. Wow. (laughs) Nathan, I can feel myself wanting to ask 500 more questions in relation to all of this. It's like, as you've been talking the questions are just arising. I think you're so fascinating. And, and this is a podcast that I could record for 12 hours. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to close it out and I'm going to suggest and, and would be honored to at some point in the future host you again, because this, is, this has been incredible. It really, really has. And so I'm going to go into some of the community questions, some of the YouTube questions that the guys have asked. But before I do so, you just touched there on the hero's journey, right? And taking men on that journey. I want you to touch on some of the work you do, what you have going on and how guys can get involved in in uh, being coached or working with you. Yeah, thank you, Billy. And yeah, that's that's really what I do, right? Whether it's man or, or woman, right? Or any other gender that they determine. Right? Yeah. Is that... You know, they create the individualized roadmap, not only for recovery, right? Recovering from our addictions and our past patterns, but the roadmap to mastery, right? Whether someone is healing, hurting, or 
stepping into becoming the hero of their story, whether they are lost and they're ready to step into the embodied leader that they are. That, that's what I do. That's why I'm here. And that's, you know, why I offer, you know, several offerings. That's why I have a lot of different ways for people to connect and interact and become a part of the communities that I participate and facilitate is so that each person can find their own path, right? And their own place in their journey. And that requires a, a process of inquiry, right? Yeah. And that's how people can apply to work with me and have a discovery call and really hear where they're at and what they're looking for. And even if I'm not that person, right? I have a lot of people who I'm connected to where sometimes I become the bridge. Yeah. And that's, and that's a really beautiful role that I also possess. Beautiful. Where can people go to seek that support, to book the discovery call with you, to get involved with you? Where can people go? Yeah. So pretty much all social media, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, um, TikTok, getting more familiar there. And I'm getting my website redeveloped now, which is newintention.com, which is neuintention.com. And that should be up towards either end of the month or early as early as May. Okay. Beautiful. Beautiful. Nathan, before we, I do go into the questions, thank you so much for sharing the wisdom you have today. I think it's been fascinating for me and you've taught me so much just sitting on the other side of you. You've taught me a, a great deal. So I, I really do appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Billy. As you have taught me, my friend. Thank you. Beautiful. Well, I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, read off the questions. There's five questions. Now I'm going to read the questions off and then we'll go back to the top and we'll address them each one by one. All right. Cool. So the first question was from Bradley. He's 22. He lives in New York. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm just out of college and I don't know what to do. Uh, my degree just feels like a sheet of paper and I don't want to go down that path, but I feel like it would be a waste if I did and I don't want to upset people. What should I do? And that's the first question. The second one is David. He's 19 and he's from Oregon. And he said, I'm a college student. And I feel like I don't fit in. It's a weird feeling. I'm changing who I am to be someone that I feel like others like. But every day I get home and I just feel drained. How can I be the real me without feeling like others won't like me? That's David. Then we have three more. And these are all anonymous questions. Anonymous, I want to build deeper relationships with my friends. Right now, it's all face value. I'm scared to share more of myself in case they think I'm weird. And I also don't know how to show them that I care so that they tell me more. How can I go deeper with these guys without looking weak? Two more. Anonymous, I'm confused and don't know what I should do with my life. I just feel stuck. How do I get unstuck and find my purpose? And then the final one. I feel, I really feel like I have so much emotion built up inside. I think this is one that you might relate to. I don't know whether to cry, laugh, or scream. I also don't know whether I can do any of that without being too much. In the end, I'm doing none. And to be honest, I'm just sad. What can I do to let it go of it all and stop feeling so heavy? So those are the five questions. I'll go back to the top now. We'll, we'll take them one-on-one. -on -one. So the first one's Bradley. I'm just out of college. And I don't know what to do. My degree is just, it feels just like a sheet of paper and I don't really want to go down that path. But I feel it would be a waste if I didn't and I don't want to upset people. What should I do? 
Mm. Yeah, first and foremost, told the men who are even vulnerable enough to, to express these things, there's a deep appreciation and reverence. So to each one of them, you know, first and foremost, thank you. Yeah. And, you know, I found myself asking similar questions. This is Billy, right? This is Bradley. Bradley, Bradley. So, yeah, Bradley, I experienced this a lot myself, and I, I never really adhered to the traditional education path. To hear the full answer to that question, as well as all the other answers to the questions I asked our guest today, head over to billygartonjr.com. Scroll down to the section that reads, Are you looking for a place to figure it all out? Click on the button that reads, Count me in, fill out the information, and a member of my team will be sure to reach out to get you involved in the You Choose Brotherhood. Boy, will this brotherhood change your life. Community and connection meets courageous conversation monthly mastermind calls, bi-monthly brotherhood check-ins, mini courses, and answers to some of your life's greatest questions. We have it all in here. Head over to billygartonjr.com. Scroll down to the section that reads, are you looking for a place to figure it all out? Click on the button that reads, count me in, fill out the information, and a member of my team will be sure to reach out. Super excited to see you there. Oh my word, I I don't even know what to say beyond what I've shared so far. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for the past hour and a half. You've been unbelievable, unbelievable. And you've shared an incredible amount of wisdom. And to the guys who submitted the questions, I hope you got value. And to those who are listening in and haven't submitted a question, but may have one, you can either shoot me a DM with your question uh, all the questions come from those that are part of the You Choose Brotherhood. So you can go to billygartonjr.com and click on the You Choose Movement page and submit a form to become a part of the You Choose Brotherhood, at which point you can get your question answered by a guest on this podcast. So Nathan, before we close this out, is there anything else that you would like to share or add as to where people can find you and, and, and interact with you? Yeah, Billy, I just want to say thank you for this opportunity. I'm, I'm always extremely grateful when I'm able to provide value to people, groups, organizations, communities that, that really need it. And I love the work that you're doing with these young men. And if I can be of any support in any way, right? or maybe a collaborative opportunity for me to provide even more value, I'm, I'm open to that. And sure. just want to encourage you to, to keep doing this work as it's so needed and, and you have my full support. So thank you. Thank you. No, thank you for that. Those kind words do mean a lot. To everybody listening, if you haven't by now subscribed to the YouTube podcast, go do so and leave a review. It really does mean the world to me in the acceleration and the growth of this of this podcast. When I began it in 2020, 2020, yeah, I never would have thought we'd have gotten to the place that we are now and to have the listeners we have and to have you guys interacting. So I really do appreciate you being here. Um, and you can find me on all platforms at Billy Garton Jr. If you have more interest in getting involved in the You Choose Brotherhood or in the work that I do, you go to billygartonjr.com and you'll find all the information there. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you got value today. And as you go out into the world, remember as much as everything that we share, tips, techniques, practices, the choice every single day to choose to be the version of you that you aspire to be. 
see you next week. Thanks for tuning in.